Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, hoping we find each and every one of you in good form. Anything you want to share with us, we would love to uh, hear from you. And I suppose a common theme that we've been hearing probably over the last year has got to do with the rising cost of absolutely everything. And yesterday we had people giving examples of how much pet food, cat food in particular, seems to have got, has gone very, very expensive. And, you know, as one listener pointed out, if you've got a very fussy cat who will only eat one particular brand and one particular flavour of uh, cat food it isn't a case of oh well look can I go and see can I get an own brand or can I, can I get a cheaper brand because the cat won't eat anything else and if you have a much loved pet uh, you know where I'm coming from on this people just have to suck up the extra prices and there was some examples yesterday of some cat foods uh, cat food brands and particular products abs- doubling in price in the last year or so seems absolutely uh, crazy well a dossier on overinflated food prices and I don't know if cat food is going to be in the middle of this or not anyway but it has been compiled by the government and this dossier then is going to be presented to supermarket chains who are being accused of price gouging their customers. Now this all stems from the Retail Business Minister for State Neil Redmond. He's now tasked his officials in the department with examining complaints that are coming in from TDs and this is TDs both government TDs and opposition TDs because they're hearing from their constituents about food prices in their local uh, supermarkets. And constituents have been inundating their local TDs, giving examples of how much everything is going up. Something needs to be done about it. So the retail business minister is saying to his department, he's tasking the officials, go out, talk with the TDs, get in the information that they're hearing from their constituents and they're going to put this dossier together. The government now, it seems, is growing increasingly concerned about the failure of the major retailers to lower their prices as record levels of inflation had started to dip in recent months. And anyone who goes to the supermarket who doesn't, says you, uh, will notice uh, everything is going up. Nothing has been coming down in recent months. So the government are now moving to put pressure on the retailers to reduce the prices because obviously there's a huge public backlash over supermarket inflation and as it heightens. And the backlash has got a lot to do with people are really struggling to make ends meet. So Neil Richmond has brought forward a meeting of the retail forum. Now he's brought it forward by seven weeks. 
he feels this is so important to do this and he's bringing them all in and he's going to outline his concerns about the continued high price of groceries and that's despite the fact that there is a reduction in inflation. So there's a reduction in inflation yet we're not seeing a reduction when we go to check out in the supermarkets. Yesterday the Fianna Gael Minister said the government didn't want to introduce price caps and they're not ruling it out but they didn't want to do it. They said they would much prefer to be able to engage with the supermarkets on a pathway for reducing prices and to start doing it over the next number of weeks. He said this is about the government clearly working with the retailers, with the food producers, with the consumer advocacy uh, bodies and the experts to make sure that the costs that consumers pay in the supermarkets are reasonable and that they are uh, realistic. He's expected to uh, tell the retail chains when they come in that he wants to see progress on price reduction and he's actually going to give them a date. He's giving them the date of the 17th of June. Now, the 17th of June was the date when the retail form was originally due to meet but he's calling them in seven weeks early. So he's going to set it out in black and white. He's going to give examples of where people are saying prices have gone up and to say, you know, and I I think he should throw in the, the cat food one we had yesterday where we had examples of listeners saying it has doubled in price and there's lots of food commodities that have gone up by 10, 20, 30, uh, 40 percent. So he's going to lay that out in front of them and say, OK, you now have seven weeks. You now have until the 17th of June and I expect you to come back here. The retail forum will reconvene and I expect to see progress, progress being the prices must uh, fall. And the government seemingly were following the lead of an example set by France. The French government have done the very same thing. They've brought in all of their retailers They've given them a set period of time and they've told them they want to see a drop in food costs and they've given them until June as well. And central to the government's concern is the very fact that grocery inflation is running at 16%. But then when you take a look at general inflation, general inflation at its highest peaked at 9%. Now, general inflation is currently at 7%. And that's expected to fall to under 5%, even could go down to 4.2%. There's a big, big difference between even the peak of general inflation at 9% and grocery inflation running at 16%. It's very hard uh, to justify the two. Now, the retail sector, obviously, are already coming out with with reasons as to why prices are so high in supermarkets. Now, they do accept that they were supported by the government with state interventions and that was during the spike in the energy costs. However, supermarket chains are arguing that they still have high costs relating to transport. And I would come back and say, well, okay, you you know, petrol and diesel did go uh, very high, but that started to come down in price as well. So surely your transport costs have started to lower. They also say that they have high costs in the storing of goods. They say they haven't been compensated on any government support scheme uh, for that. Uh, Supermarkets, the same as everyone, has also been hit, obviously, by the rising interest rates when the European Central Bank, when they've been introducing a series of rises, but that's gone across the board. Everyone has been facing, unfortunately, those interest uh, rises. And Neil Richmond is also going to point to profits made by some food producers. Now, one that's getting a lot of attention is a company called Orivo. Now, they're the owner of Connacht Gold Butter. 
their profits increased by more than 41% and that was despite rising inflation and that's just one producer. And the government is also monitoring price rises. They want to make sure that there isn't some kind of a cartel behaviour going on, particularly amongst the big uh, retailers. And government sources say that uh, they want the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission to look into food prices. And of course, the reason that people will get suspicious about a cartel and are all of the supermarket chains somehow in cahoots, when you look at milk and butter in particular, one supermarket decided to drop the price of milk. Lo and behold, all of the rest followed suit. And the same happened just last week when one supermarket decided to drop the pound of butter by 40 cent lo and behold, all the rest followed suit. And I remember that annoyed me. Why did it take one supermarket uh, to do it? If they were able to sell it at 40 cents less uh, for per, per pound of butter, you know, why didn't all the rest come out? Why did they wait for one to do it? And of course, there's a new term that a lot of people are speaking about, and that's greedflation. And it's the term that's been used to describe when companies are using inflation as an excuse just to boost their own uh, profit margin. Now, it's seen as a very cynical move by businesses, especially when customers are struggling with the cost of living. And it seems the European Central Bank are very wary of greedflation and they say they're monitoring rising profits very, very uh, uh, closely. Now, the Labour TD, Gerard Nash, uh, said when he was talking about the price of butter and the price of milk reducing. And he said, look, well, that's good news uh, for shoppers. But he says, does that not essentially confirm that price gouging is endemic throughout the grocery sector in Ireland? Now, Jed Nash is the Labour Party's finance and enterprise uh, spokesperson. And he said that the government must commit to working with the CCPC to stamp out this greed inflation for once and for all. He said these big and brave supermarkets must also commit to meaningful price reductions across the range of other products. He says that they're using to cream it in. So there will be a careful eye watch on the retail business minister when he is bringing in the supermarket chains. And actually that is happening uh, tomorrow. And I think lots of people will agree. And there is that feeling out there that there is greedflation going on while, you know, the retail sector will say, oh, everything's going up for us. But suddenly when everything starts to come down and while it might be coming down slowly, why are we not seeing the cost of food items when we go to the supermarket? Why are we not seeing any of that falling? 0818 103 103. If you have any examples, like the cat food example yesterday of something that really has gone up in price and gone up in price when it's kind of hard to justify why it's gone up so much, share it with us. And even better still, if you've seen anything come down in price, would you let us know as well? A lot of people, when I was talking about the cat story from yesterday and somebody saying they have a very fussy cat who won't eat anything else and the price of the particular uh, cat food and the brand and the flavour that the cat likes has doubled in price. I think it went from €6 euro to €12. Uh, euro. A lot of people saying, let the cat go hungry. Somebody says, give the hunger plan to the cat. Hunger is the best sauce. They won't be long about eating the uh, cheaper one. And a number of people are making that point. Someone else says, Patricia, more 
mortgages have also gone through the roof as well. People are really struggling with the cost of living at the supermarket and if they're paying a high mortgage and yeah, and rents uh, as well. It really is so, so difficult for so many at the moment. Morning, Patricia. I was in Lidl yesterday. The water I normally get was the same price, but when I got it home, I discover the pack. There was only nine in the pack. It used to be 12. That's what they called shrinkflation when they do that. I did an example of that recently, a particular. There's one brand of toothpaste. It's the only brand of toothpaste that I can I can use. And it had it it had gone up in price, not by much, I think by eleven cent or something. It had gone up. And I suddenly realized it had shrunk by twenty-five percent. It had gone from a hundred mil down to seventy-five mil. So that's called shrinkflation. And you think on oh, it hasn't gone up, it's the same price, and then lo and behold, you discover it has because you are getting uh less. Um hi Patricia, look at the price of cars. Even second-hand cars have almost doubled in price. But that's got a lot to do with the fact that the there was a, a shortage of new cars and that's why second-hand cars became so much more expensive. This is a particular uh, brand of dog food. Six, ca- six cans, fourteen twenty-nine in one supermarket, 14 in another supermarket. Add extra. It's all greed and selfishness. Six, six cans... Oh, they must be big cans. Would six cans of dog food be fourteen euro uh, twenty nine and fourteen euro in another uh, supermarket? Yeah, I suppose. I think the point that's been made there is uh, it is worth your while uh, to uh, shop around. Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three. And even Mitchellstam is on about something dear to my own heart because I follow a gluten free uh, diet. She says gluten free food is really after getting expensive for every type of food. Her example is gluten free bisto gravy. It it's the same size tin as the normal tin of Bisto, except it's gluten free. It's gone from two euro fifty to three euro eighty, or in another supermarket, three euro eighty nine. I'm celiac, uh, so I don't have any choice. I have to follow a gluten free diet. I do try and bake as much of my own stuff as I can. But I recently picked up a lemon drizzle cake. It was a tiny little cake, and it was nearly four euro. Everything is going up for a gluten free eater. We have no choice but to purchase these uh, brands. But yes. Uh, this uh, Neve says that she does try to uh, shop around. Yeah, this I've always I, I've probably I'm ten years I think probably now following a gluten free uh, diet. I I couldn't believe uh, how more expensive gluten free items are to not to the non uh, gluten free. It really is. Ex- it, it's always been expensive, but now it's gone even more expensive. So I my heart goes out to you, and I have sympathies uh, with you, Neve. Now we're going to stay on the topic of everything seems to be going up in price and this new word now, this new term that's been used, greedflation, because yesterday we had a number of rather frustrated air customers who were complaining about a monthly increase in their bills, with many saying they had signed a contract and believed the price was set for the duration of that contract to see what's going on and if the company can impose these increases. I'm joined by Michael Kilcoyne of the Consumer Association. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. An organisation that I imagine is very, very busy at the moment. Now, this 8% increase from AIR, does it affect all customers and are you aware of it? Well, we're aware that they're they're applying increases. Um, Of course, the problem is that... that, uh, uh, all of these are uh, really private sector companies, so they they can uh, uh, increase it by what they like. That's the reality of it. Uh, you recall that many years ago, um, AIR was, uh, well, the, net, the telephone network was part of the Department of Post and Telegraphs. 
Uh, and at that time, of course, there was uh, control over it. Uh, then it has changed it, its names uh, certainly as many times as there are days in the week. Um, and um, it, it's a privately owned company. Um, in relation to increasing prices, well, in many of the contracts, there are all kinds of clauses. If somebody has a contract that says uh, that's guaranteeing them a price uh, for a certain period of time, then the company um, um, must honour that. If not, they're in breach of that. Um, uh, they're in breach of the contract. But if if um, uh, it says nothing about price increases, uh, then the company can apply price increases. And it, and according to Air, there. This price increase is going to happen every April. Uh, well, that's what they seem to be saying. Uh, although some of this rests with consumers now, where they should uh, transfer uh, there to another service provider. I'm not saying that the other service provider won't be increasing their prices as well. Um, but but it's it, it, it's it's a snub to customers and their customers, and a person would have to wonder whether or not AIR is um, interested in doing business in Ireland. Um, if their attitude is that they're going to shove it up uh, every year. Uh, I'm not so sure that they've said this by 8% each year, but... No, uh, what, they're I, saying, I what, yeah, what they're saying is it will go up by at least 3% every year, but then they will wait to see what the annual consumer price index is. And whatever the consumer price index is, it'll be that plus 3%. That seems to be where they're coming from. But yeah. it comes back to the customers. And, and we always say shop around. Yeah, yeah. There is a, a better value to be had out there. And of course, if they're if they're starting to lose uh, part of their customer base, uh, they will they will sit up very fast. Um, that's if they're interested in staying in the country and continuing to have operations here. Um, they have a lot of customers, though. I'm sorry. They have a lot of customers. They have a lot of customers, and the reason they have a lot of customers is. Obviously, their customers felt that they were getting value for money. But when the day comes that, that you're no longer getting value for money, it's up to yourself to change. Just make sure you're out of contract. Mm. But in relation to those people who have a contract that says uh, this price is guaranteed for 12 months or 24 months or whatever it is, that's a contract. That's legally enforceable. Yeah, because we did get on to air and they did issue us with a statement, you know, explaining why the increases were necessary. And it's, you know, it's to do with investment in infrastructure. And and they also say to combat the significant inflation costs. But they do say that customers who joined or went into a recontract on or after the 23rd of February this year, they will not be subject to this price rise in April. But customers who joined before the 23rd of February 2023 and existing customers who received a notification last year will receive the annual increase um, from April 23 and every April thereafter. And seemingly it's in the contract. It goes back to read the small print, doesn't it? Unfortunately. Correct. It's read the small print. So uh, uh, and even even when there isn't print, um, if they call you, um, um, tele- uh, um, uh, do an agreement with you uh, verbally um, over the telephone, and um, that's recorded and kept, and that now forms part of your contract. Um, so it's really important that when this happens, that you ask them the questions, that you read the document if there's a document that you're very careful of what you say to them and um, if they call you um, 
to offer you a telephone service or an internet service or a TV service. You need to be really careful because sometimes um, on these contracts, these are the um, verbal contracts, um, the person would say yes, 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 meaning that they understand what the person is saying. And they might, uh, and they they might, might not, yeah. They might but well the be other... Putting you into a contract. The other point that came up yesterday, Michael, was some listeners were unaware that they were going to get this increase in April and believed that they were in a contract where the price would remain the same. And when they contacted Air to find out why was this 8% gone up, they were informed by whoever they were speaking with at the call centre that it was nothing to do with Air, that it was a government increase or some kind of a government levy. And they were led to believe that every other phone company would be doing the same thing. But that's not correct because when we got on to them, they, it's, I mean, it's nothing to do with the government levy. It's nothing to do with the government levy. The government is blamed for many things and rightly so. But I'm not aware of them imposing a levy on telecommunications companies. Not that I'm yeah, aware of. And even in their statement, they say, Air say, that the, the reason for it is because of this investment in infrastructure and because of inflation costs across their operations that they're going to, they're putting an annual increase and it will come in in April of every year. But do you agree, Michael, it's the timing of the increase w- with the cost of living at an all-time high and people really struggling? Yeah, people are really struggling. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, it's 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 frightening. Uh, some of the stuff that's happening in, in in the country, people are on a fixed income. Their prices are going up uh, by the day. In in some cases, and uh, I accept that things like petrol and diesel has come back down, uh, but that's only a small part of what's run runs an economy. Um, but there is huge pro, um, um, consumer goods. Uh, inflation, and particularly in relation to people who are doing their weekly shopping, you will see some of the latest figures that are up at eighteen uh, percent inflation in food food inflation, and 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 that's scandalous. People, there are people um, who find it really difficult to put food on their table, and of course, these are the same people that are affected by increases in their rent. Uh, although in some areas there is a cap imposed on the rent. Uh, in most places around the country, there is no cap. So it's 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 an open economy. The only one that has there's a cap on what they can charge is taxi drivers. Nobody else that I'm aware of in this country uh, have a cap on what they can charge. And we know that uh, the minister. Uh Neil Richmond is bringing in all of the supermarket uh, chains and he seemingly is compiling a dossier on overinflated food prices. I could actually hand him one just from our listeners um, alone. Now, he says that the government don't want to introduce price caps. They'd prefer to engage with the supermarkets. Do you think this bringing in this form, retail form, is, do you think it's going to work? Have you confidence it's, it'll work? It's a cop-out. It's the same as uh, listening to uh, government ministers talking about um, the increases in the cost of accommodation, the increases in the cost of building materials, and particularly in the case of things like building materials, the higher they go, the more the government takes in and VAT, and that's why uh, the, the coffers of the state uh, continue to increase. The same with, with petrol and diesel, same with many um, uh, household um, goods that people buy. I, I don't accept at all that the, the government is serious about doing anything um, with with um, uh, the cost of living in terms of, of goods that people are buying for everyday shopping. If 
they were, they would be saying to these supermarkets, um, if you continue to increase the prices, we'll introduce maximum prices and do what you like about it. Nobody has said that. They're saying, oh, we don't want to do this. Of course they don't want to do it. They won't do it. Same thing has happened in relation to rent increases. No cap in most places other than a few in the city. Are you f- fearful there's a cartel going on, particularly when you look at how milk and butter came down? It took one supermarket to say, we'll lower and the rest followed suit. Yeah, of course the rest followed suit because the, the consumer would would, would, um, 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 they would shop around and they would go into the supermarket where the product was, was uh, cheapest. But I have to say to you, it didn't come down as a result of any action by the government. It came down as a result of somebody deciding that they were going to reduce the price and then the rest follows. It shows you there was a margin there all the time. But sometimes, but, and I think that this is one that needs to be watched carefully, some supermarkets decide to put, for example, the price of milk, and they sell it sometimes below cost to get people into the supermarket. Um, and then you buy your other goods that you want, and the prices of them has increased. So they have taken back what they could the other product buy. People need to be aware of what's going on. Yeah, lost, what they call lost, lost uh, leaders. leaders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Alan says his bin charges have gone up. His bill has gone to over 50 euro. When he inquired at the bin company, uh, he was told, oh, that's to do with the price of diesel charges. Obviously, diesel has gone very, very high, but surely the price of diesel has come down, says Alan. It has come back down. But in relation to things like, like uh, the bin charges, Remember, they used to be all collected by the local authorities, yeah. but then it became government policy. Oh, privatise all this. It is a word in government where they want to privatise the services. Once they privatise the services, um, they, what happens is that, that uh, the prices go up. We see it all the time. Shareholders want to return on their investment, and it's a question of, of they want more and more of a return. So if the government was serious on that example of bin charges, they would instruct local authorities, introduce a refuse collection system, compete with these guys, you would see big changes. OK, someone else says, uh, can Michael see the price of electricity uh, reducing any time this year? Edward is dreading the next bill without the €200 Euro government credit on it. Look, uh, what I'd say to that listener and to, and to people in general, the price of the raw material for electricity has come down substantially. These companies argue that, you know, we, we had committed to paying these prices to our suppliers of oil and gas and so on. That was a business decision made by these companies. They are raking in huge money and profits. And, and the government is just shrugging their shoulders, you know. They're just shrugging their shoulders. So you, people, you have no confidence in the government bringing in the retailers for this forum? Oh, they'll bring them in, of course, and they'll talk to them and they'll tell them they're concerned. And, and, uh, but they're giving them until the, the 17th of June where they want to see progress on price reductions. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll wait and see, but it has never been any different in the past where um, places were called in. Um, I, I recall, uh, um, I think, Pat Rabbit, when he was a minister, one time saying he was bringing in the, the vendors to put a cap on the price of the pint. Price of the point is a lot higher now than it was then. Yeah, and, and continues to go up. Okay, and listen. Continues to go up. 
A listener says, I was an Air customer for years. Firstly, they started charging for their email accounts. So guess what? I got rid of it. I also got my bills by post. And then this year I received a letter saying they were increasing the price and charging for posting out the bill. I had to go yeah. online. So guess what? I don't have a landline anymore. One less bill to pay. OK, that's one way around it for sure. OK, uh, Michael, listen, a pleasure as always talking to you. Thank you for that. You're welcome, And uh, we'll talk again. Thanks a million. That is Michael Kilcoyne, who is with the Consumer Association. And somebody said, so people signed up for a contract with AIR, which includes in the small print an annual price increase. And people are complaining that the terms of the contract are being executed exactly as outlined. It sounds to me like people don't read the small print. The grand final of the Eurovision Song Contest will take place in the Liverpool Arena this coming Saturday. But to decide who will take part, there has to be two semi-finals this week, one tonight and the second one on Thursday. Our man on the ground in Liverpool is Johnny O'Mani, who joins me by WhatsApp this morning. Good morning to you, Johnny. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. So what is Liverpool looking like? Have they gone Eurovision crazy? They've gone Eurovision crazy and it's actually probably one of the best cities in a long time. Um, it's a fine-sized city, but it's everything is central and everything is kind of local. But there's, I don't think there's anybody in Liverpool today that doesn't know Eurovision is on. They've <laughs> gone all out and it's, it's, it's looking great. OK, Ukraine, for obvious reasons, won last year and can't host. Um, will they play a role along with the BBC? Very much so. Even in the logo, the the Ukrainian flag is in the actual logo, which is kind of the the host host country does every year. But it's Ukraine. It's it's a co-production for the first time ever uh, between uh, Ukraine and the UK. And um, it's a very much Ukraine and UK show that this year it's it's been done, I suppose, primarily by BBC. But um, Ukraine is very, very much involved. And the BBC were absolutely desperate to host, weren't they? Yeah, and you know what? Credit where, where it's due. They've done a fantastic job. They've really gone all out. And, you know, for some years, people are saying, oh, the BBC have no interest and they don't want to win and what have you. They've gone all out and they've done a brilliant job. They, like Liverpool has definitely, like there was controversy. Oh, why Liverpool? You know, it should have been Glasgow. It should have been wherever. Liverpool has definitely, like the BBC and Liverpool, have gone all out to make this um a, a great show and it's very slick very smooth and um, probably one of the best ones in recent years I think as, you know as we'll find out <laughs> during the week Now the first semi-final is on tonight and this is the night where the focus and the spotlight goes on Ireland's entry at Wild Youth Firstly talk to me about Wild Youth how are they getting on and how are they being received? Yeah they're doing great you know, credit again, credit where it's due they've, they've been good on rehearsals sound issues um, at different times but, you know, they, they've had, you know, great attention here and great interest in them because they're, they're very pro Eurovision and they entered, they wanted to participate and they wanted to represent Ireland. They're singing in sixth place, which isn't a great position to be in. But at the end of the day, they're, you know, they're giving it their all. And um, I, will they qualify? I don't know. It's, it's, it's a tough one tonight. There's only 15 countries uh, in tonight's show and 10 of those will qualify, five won't. And at this stage where Wild Youth are doing a great job and, you know, delivering the goods, it's down to there's probably maybe five countries that are definite qualifiers and the other 10 it's it's a toss up between and there's there's no guarantees. So Ireland could be we might be in ninth, we might be the ninth qualifier and we might be the fourteenth. And they did um a poll last night going into the 
uh, dress rehearsal of the audience and Ireland were sixth out of the 15. But bear in mind, there was a big Irish contingent there yeah. last night. Yeah, so yeah. That, that could have an effect and this, on that. I've, I've, I've been listening to um, clips of all of the songs. This does seem to be the tougher semi-final. It, definitely. I, I, I think we've said this before as well. If we were in the second semi-final, I think there's almost a certain uh, we, we definitely qualify. But again, it's all down to how they perform tonight. It's only televote tonight. There's no juries for the semi-finals this year. It's just completely televote. So it just if they deliver the goods tonight and they appeal to the audience, it's you know they they can qualify. So um, can that, people in the can people in the UK vote? Not tonight, ah. unfortunately, no. And we're losing out on Australia as well. Australia in the other semi-finals. So that would nearly always always be guaranteed votes from them. But like we, Norway, Sweden and Finland are in the in the show tonight and Netherlands. So there's a chance that we get votes from them, hopefully, fingers crossed. So it's 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 just one of those things. It's everything is the luck of the draw. And um you know the telly vote. Hopefully that they'll 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 come through on it for us, and uh, that we'll be in the in the top ten at least. And they do they have a full dress rehearsal yesterday? They had two full dress rehearsals okay. yesterday. There's another one today at one thirty, and um, yeah, all the the I saw the first one, which was you know it was a very kind of um, it it took longer obviously because there's it's the first time we're all. Uh, uh, countries performed together where it's you know we've, they've done their individual rehearsals but it's the first time where the show is actually gelled together from beginning to end so um, yeah it, it was okay there was a few sound issues but um, th- that's why it's called a rehearsal you know to yeah, get, it, yeah. get it working get it right well, is this, are you happy this with is the, the same every year are you happy with the staging of it for Wild Youth yeah I think they yeah I think they do they, they do very good you know it's it's I suppose it's come it's a new t- it's new for our, our, for Ireland that um it's a pop song and it's strong it's it's very it, it's very bright and you know there's pyrotechnics and you know it's um it, it's good and uh, just once the the sound issues are okay and the vocals are okay I think you know it's it's in a good place it's after Portugal which is a kind of um a, a boppy song as well but it's before Croatia so it's just it's stuck in a, in a bad spot that could just take votes from have. on either side of it. Yeah, and and, and we but haven't qualified, have we, for a number of years for it's the grand since final? Two thousand eighteen. Now it's five years. We oh. qualified in twenty thirteen, and then five years later. So we're hoping it's another five year itch that we'll get in tonight. <laughs> okay, and and everyone is talking about um, Sweden for the win. Everyone's talking about Sweden, but. Let me tell you, Noreen won for Sweden in Baku back in 2012 with Euphoria. And I think everyone that would big, know big song. Yeah, big song. She's back um, again this year. And if say if Sweden were to win, they'd be matching Ireland's um, winning total. Yeah. That's number one. Plus, she'd be the first female, first woman to win uh, twice. Now we have that record as well with Johnny Logan. But. It's kind of it's I, I I don't rate it as a winner. It, okay. It's okay, but the one that's everyone is talking about is Finland, and it like people are saying it's going to be a Finland Sweden finish. Um, uh, Finland is um, I don't know. It's a kind of a, a rock song, I suppose. Cha cha cha, but it's the, their campaign has been unreal. They have you know there's no end to the publicity they've they've gone about there. Uh, they have a mobile sauna here. They have um, they, he's the the guy Karia, 
has been everywhere around the, the place. Like they, he's a, he wears a green, like a luminous green bolero jacket, and everything they have is kind of that colour. There's um, even in Central train station in Finn in Helsinki, they have these huge statues outside the entrance and they have this green luminous bolero jacket on the statues <laughs> and they've gone all out. I mean, it, 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 they, they've done the best, I suppose, campaign here in Liverpool. And but they're help. singing last tonight and I think that that's one to watch. They, okay. they could take Sweden out. Oh, OK, so we can look forward to a good night tonight. Is there any truth in the rumour that Dustin is going to make an appearance? Dustin is there, yeah. he's Now, I don't know if we'll see him on RT because it's kind of, you know, when they do these... Um, little um fox pops in the middle of you know when the fillers an, an ad, for the break break yeah yeah but uh dustin is there at the rehearsal yesterday he was um well well it wasn't dustin it was a stage hands hand we saw because they were doing it as part they had to do the full run oh, through okay. and they were they were interviewing dustin and just you know welcome him back to eurovision and you know just say it, it He's there for maybe 10, 15 seconds, but it's it's just it, it, there's a lot of different bits throughout the show like that. Okay. And uh, Dustin, Dustin is definitely there or will be there. <sighs> so uh, it's it's something to look forward to as well. As okay. He didn't win in 2008, but he, he's back. Yeah, he got the doozy poids. Uh, OK, I got the zero poids. OK, so uh, eight o'clock uh, tonight. We'll talk to you again on Friday. Enjoy the rest of the week, um, Johnny. Just when we were talking about Eurovision, when I was linking up with uh, Johnny O'Mahony, our Eurovision correspondent in uh, Liverpool, I've just seen that Killarney has been described as Ireland's most Eurovision obsessed town. It's followed by Maynooth, Mallow, Carrick and Shore and Wexford Town. That is the top five. It was Digital Funnel. They examined Google searches over the past year uh, to determine what towns and cities around the country, who was Googling the most, asking questions about the Eurovision and they were the top five countries. Killarney at the top, Maynooth, Mallow, Carrick and Shore and uh, Wexford and people living in Nina are least likely to watch the Eurovision because they were the least <laughs> interested uh, very few people in Nina were Googling anything to do with the Eurovision. 0818103103. Some calls in and some texts in from the Kilcorny Mill Street area. Uh, to do with the water outage and wondering could we find out what was going on well according to Ishka Aaron there is repairs going on to a burst water main in the uh, area and water is due to be restored later today they are working on it as we speak now a lot of uh, calls in uh, reacting both to the piece that I mentioned about the retail business minister of state Neil uh, uh, Richmond has tasked his officials to examine what is going on in supermarkets and to give him examples of food prices that have gone up in price and he is calling in all of the leaders of the main retailers and he's bringing them in for this retail forum. They were originally due to meet in June. He's called them in seven weeks earlier and he wants to now put pressure on the retailers to start reducing prices because there's a huge public backlash over supermarket inflation uh, as supermarket inflation heightens and there's a backlash because people are finding it really, really difficult and finding it hard to make ends meet and they're struggling every week because even the basic food items have all gone up in price. Some of your commentary on that and then of course I spoke with Michael Kilcoyne of the Consumers Association who sounded really angry with what's happening in supermarkets. Jim is listening to us in Counting Clare and he says, Patricia, realistically can you see Minister of State Neil Richmond telling Margaret Heffernan at Dunn stores to reduce their margins? He's not placing much faith in this 
retail form and actually listening to Michael Kilcoyne he wasn't paying much faith uh, he didn't have much um, he hasn't much trust in it either Martin Infamoy says one local petrol station Petrol is at 164.9. That is still too high. And remember, says Martin, the amount of money the government make out of every litre of petrol. Martin is pointing the finger blame at the government for all of the price hikes. He said it is their fault. I totally agree with Michael Kilcoyne of the Consumer Association and everything he had to say on your programme this morning. Well, chop around on the petrol because it is petrol and diesel is starting to come down slowly, slowly, slowly. So chop around because you'll find you could find two garages across the road from each other and they could be a couple of a cent of a different but all of that every cent uh, counts at this stage Uh, John says Patricia there was a time in this country where we were known for robbing the American tourists when they came here on their holidays. Now I have to say, says John, it looks like we're robbing our own. Many of our own are out on the streets and yet we seem to be able to find accommodation for people from other countries. Something is very badly wrong, says uh, John. Uh, A North Cork listener says, Patricia, do you know what is needed right now is an all out strike. The way of life for many people at the moment, appalling. I sold my car uh, because I needed money to pay bills. We actually go without food at least one day a week in this household and that's ultimately going to make us sick. And now you have people on your programme talking about the price of cat food. What a laugh. Our dog goes without food two days a week for God's sake. This way of living is so upsetting and it's only going to get worse. Recently I sold my lawnmower and my ga- gr- grass strimmer simply to help pay bills which means I can't work anymore. I do blame the government for all of this because they're not there to stop these things happening. We only watch TV for three hours a night trying to save on our electricity costs. Our fridge is empty and will be empty until tomorrow. We'll go out, do some shopping and I guarantee you that fridge will be empty again by Saturday or Sunday. It is an all out strike is what is needed. Everything to somebody else is to do with total greed. And here's somebody who's very much agreeing with that new phrase that's been bandied about greed inflation. Food, alcohol, beer, in bars, everything has gone up. It's all down to greed. Uh, where do the bars get off with their massive price hikes? Remember, the that industry received a huge amount of grants during the COVID lockdown. Pubs were well paid and now it just seems to be total greed, says this uh, listener. Hi Patricia, I'm living in Dunmanway. I feel we should be having protests in every town about the cost of living. Uh, the people need to have a say. Enough is enough. And then a couple of texts have come in about the price of gluten-free products because one of our listeners is a celiac and was pointing out how much gluten-free products which were always expensive but they've also gone up in price. Michael in Castletown Bear uh, is also celiac and says €4 Euro for a loaf of white bread. There's only 400 grams. It's a very small loaf of white uh, bread. That is what, what it is costing people to buy a slice of bread if you're a celiac. It's daylight robbery as is everything else in the gluten-free range. Furthermore, 70 to 80% of today's society have some form of a gluten intolerance or some form of celiac disease and yet the amount of food available on the supermarket shelves, you could put it into a wheelbar. It's absolutely uh, disgraceful. That's from Michael. Hi Patricia, on the subject of gluten-free bread. I was diagnosed as a celiac. It's almost 20 years ago now. Since then, the choice of products we can buy has improved immeasurably. Yeah, I'm going to stop. Well, I'm assuming when you were diagnosed 20 years ago, you used to have to go to the chemist. Remember, the chemist would have a small little 
selection of gluten-free products. It was certainly you weren't getting gluten-free products inside in a supermarket. So it has come on, even though Michael reckons they could be putting in even more items. But it certainly has come on from, say, 20 years ago. Anyway, back to Denise in West Cork. This text is in from. She says they are definitely gluten-free products are definitely more expensive than the so-called normal products. Do you know, though, said Denise, you can claim back from revenue on all gluten-free foods purchase. Dunn stores definitely are one supermarket that have a facility to register. You register with them and then they will give you a yearly receipt for all of your gluten-free items. Keep the receipts, add up all your gluten-free costs at the end of the year and you can claim back 20% of the costs. Now, it doesn't cover, says Denise, the full difference, but it does help, especially if you've more than one celiac in the family, kind regards. I wasn't aware of that, uh, Denise. I knew knew there was a way to claim back, but I didn't realise that that Dunn's have that facility. So maybe check in with your local Dunn stores. I imagine check in with other supermarkets because everything now is gone on computers and everything. I mean, you can go into a supermarket uh, now and you're scanning your own food as as you're doing the rounds and with all the different loyalty cards, they've all of the information stored on a computer. So I'm assuming they just have to click a button to print off a receipt for how much you spent on gluten-free products. So there's, it's a saving, as I say, it's only 20% of the amount you spent, but over a year. And Denise is right, there are families that will have more than because gluten, the gluten uh, celiac disease does have a tendency to run in families. So you could have more than one in the household and then it becomes really, really expensive. Thank you, Denise, for that information. And Una, this is back on phone bills and we go from people giving out about air to Vodafone. Hi, Patricia. I received my Vodafone bill during the week. I have my mobile phone with them for years. I have a bill pay plan and this month, despite the plan, my bill jumped by 11%. I'm retired and I'm on a limited fixed income. I phoned them. They said it was due to government increases. The supports we got from the government were really, really helpful during the winter, but it's a pity that they can't control these big companies instead. If I broke the contract, I'm told I will be penalised and yet they can impose an 11% increase. It all adds up, says Una. Yeah, and uh, as Michael um, Kilcoyne of the Consumer Association pointed out, because we had so many people on that point with AIR saying, you know, I signed a contract, I expected the contract to be honoured but it's when you go into the contract and you look into the very very small print it's actually in the small print that they can put up the prices which is uh, really uh, galling because you sign in and then when you're on a fixed income you want to know every month how much you are going to pay the only thing I will say Una you will be out of contract at some stage and that is the time to uh, switch and look around and see maybe you can get a better deal somewhere else Hi um, I've done that Um, what's this I changed um, somebody said I changed from one supermarket to another supermarket and I've made a saving it does pay to I'm not calling out supermarkets because that's unfair on the, on the various supermarkets because they're all battle, battling for our, our custom but one listener swapped from one supermarket well-known supermarket to another supermarket and reckoned that they saved 180 euro in two weeks that's a huge huge uh, saving. It certainly does pay to shop around. 0818 103 103 lines are open. C103 Jobs. O'Flynn Motors in Mallow. They've got a vacancy for a motor technician to join their team. 022 20808. Community employment positions available in Formoy, Kilworth in and Aradlin. For more information, email michelle at formoyimageceo.com i.e. Bantry Bay Hotel they've got a vacancy for a hotel porter it's to work evenings 
email thebantrybay23 at outlook.com. And Dairy Goat, they've got vacancies for a retail store manager and a retail sales assistant in their Fairmount and Mogili co-op superstores. Please apply online to www.dairygold.ie forward slash careers. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. According to last week's edition of the Sunday Times, Russian warships and auxiliary vessels gathered off the south coast of Ireland last week. How concerned should we be? And what are these ships doing in Irish waters? John Mooney is crime and security correspondent with the Sunday Times. And John joins me this morning. Good morning to you, John. Good morning. Now, did these vessels try to hide their location or were they very open about their presence? So maybe just explain to the listeners, uh, Russian ships and other naval vessels regularly uh, pass through Ireland's exclusive economic zone. What was unusual about this is, number one, that they're Russian vessels. One of, at least one of them was a Russian warship that had actually seen action in Ukraine as in being involved in several attacks on Ukraine. And that vessel had its transponder switched off. And just maybe to explain this, if you can imagine, there's a formation of four vessels. At one point when they were in Ireland's uh, uh, Irish-controlled waters, that vessel and another broke off from the main party, although they later rejoined them. Now, they proceeded to a location that was close enough to a subsea cable with their transponders off, and that, that is highly suspicious activity. So when you're thinking about these, the this behaviour and the activities of these vessels, you have to think of every conceivable um, possibility with them. They're, they're not going to carry out an attack on Ireland per se, and the cables themselves are not Irish. They're commercially owned critical infrastructure um, uh, that's owned by various private companies. But, however, th- this type of activity going on within our area of interest is what makes it kind of Ireland Inc.'s problem, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, yeah. And, so and, th- and, and how damaging was an attack on any of those subsea uh, cables and offshore infrastructure? How damaging would that be? Okay, so... Again, you have to stand back and look at the overall picture. So at the moment, Ireland is a neutral country, but we're not really neutral because our security services and our military feed into NATO, we feed into Europol, we feed into lots of different intelligence services, which are colloquially known as allied services. And that is particularly the state the state when it comes to foreign intelligence services operating in Ireland. So if for example, one, a subsea cable was damaged um, deliberately through an act of sabotage in Irish control waters. That is not going to knock off the internet or de- seriously cause disruption to online uh, you know, communications and the exchange of data, etc., that we all rely on. However, if that happened at multiple locations across Europe, um, then it would. And the reason why Ireland has to be very careful about these issues is is that NATO at the moment is of the belief that Russian 
sabotage units have placed um, explosives or certainly made preparations to begin or to attack uh, critical offshore in- infrastructure such as gas pipelines, such as uh, subsea cables carrying data, etc. And we saw last September there was the attacks on the Nord Stream pipe, uh, one and two pipelines, which caused uh, quite a serious uh, economic impact uh, on Europe uh, at a time um, when it was reliant on gas uh, imports from Norway um, to, you know, heat people's homes. So that that in many ways is simply um, uh, uh, a taste of what may come because Russia itself sees it itself on a war footing with the West. And we tend to believe that we are somehow uh, immune from hostile activities and we are immune from sort of this sort of interference because of our neutrality. However, any Russian analyst will tell you um, that Russia views Ireland as part of the West. It looks at Ireland as a key component of the West and it doesn't differentiate between us and Britain or France or anywhere else. We're just part of the European Union, which it now perceives to be its enemy. And when they're in Irish waters and and in the exclusive economic zone, are they infringing any international laws by just being there? No, is the is the short legal answer to that. However, they should have their AIS system that that which identifies their movement switched on. Um, however, who who is going to really enforce that sort of regulation against a, a Russian frigate um, that is carrying you know probably missiles and is probably well armed? I mean, as well as that, the Irish government tends to avoid any sort of recognition of the national security problems, um, you know, on any uh, aspect of this. For example, we we saw um, Michael Martin and the junior minister, Peter Burke, coming out and really playing this down. However, these issues, when when they enter the public domain, as we did so last weekend, the, the usual response from government is to say we don't discuss this for national security reasons. However, that's really at this stage just become an excuse not to not to provide information because the next question would be, well, what have you done about this? Mm. And unfortunately, Ireland now and I suppose recent governments, you know, involved with Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have really denuded our military and our policing services of their capabilities to deal with these significant problems, which ironically are are really coming to the fore at the moment. And what probably is driving the government's, um, you know, uh, wishes to ignore these issues is that it will take a number of years to get our military and uh, various aspects of our security apparatus really up to speed to be able to deal with these problems. And these problems present themselves as threats in quite a number of different ways. So, for example, with Russia, Russia is a problem off our shores, but it's a far more significant problem on land where we have a constant flow of Russian intelligence officers entering the country and leaving the country. And indeed, Ireland, you know, is arguably now being used as a staging post for Russian espionage across Europe. And we saw the kind of Hain that uh, the government made of uh, number one permitting the Russian embassy to be expanded by 500% and then having to 
uh, introduce emergency legislation to stop that particular infrastructure project going ahead after uh, it, what was actually happening was highlighted in the Sunday Times. Yeah, and the huge number of people that work at the Russian uh, embassy there, and there is no need for the small population of Russian people that live in Ireland to have that level of staff at their embassy. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the Russian embassy is a, an intelligent signals base at this stage. And that was allowed to happen under uh, this government and the last government. And it's, 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 it's a, it, that's not just a problem for Ireland. That is a problem for Europe because um, there are people operating from there. We had a number of them expelled. I think it was last year. But there are people operating from there that are intelligence officers. But it should also be stated that since, uh, you know, it, the Sunday Times had highlighted what was actually happened there, that there's since been discovered is what's called as illegal networks. And there are people that live amongst the community that have no clear affiliation with the Russian state or the Kremlin and that have subsequently been found to be, you know, military officers that are uh, involved in espionage and operational support to espionage operations. So it, we've got a significant problem in this country because we've allowed one to develop. But I, but I do think it, a lot of this is coming to the fore now. Um, part, because events are, are kind of getting ahead of themselves. There's a war going on within part of Europe. Um, you've got a, a, an incredibly aggressive and assertive um, uh, Kremlin now. And you kind of, in, in many ways, our political establishment have run out of road insofar as that there was a time that they could deny these issues and just, you know, shrug them off or whatever. But I think that um, foreign governments are very concerned about this. Yeah, and some of the big industry and tech companies that are here are desperately concerned about it and there's no real answers coming from government. Yeah, and you mentioned the Minister of State for European Affairs, uh, Peter Burke. I heard him yesterday when he was asked about your story, about the, the, the Russian fleet uh, off the coast of Ireland and he said that there was a lot of posturing going on by Russia. I mean, to me, that's very much the government, exactly what you were saying, playing it down. Well, I think they are, but the, the problem is, is that they may not understand the Kremlin. And as someone who studied this and, and does a lot of research into it, um, the government maybe have a kind of slightly naive view. And I think there's a problem within the wider civil service in relation to these issues now, in terms of you're dealing with policymakers that don't fully understand the problems or appreciate their complexity. I mean, you know, the world is changing, the world is changing pretty fast at the moment. And there are lots of competing powers now as opposed to just one. And our security policy is so outdated. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. 
Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I mean, it, it is shockingly uh, negligent uh, of the state to allow what's happening to happen. I mean, you know, they're... There, there are various issues which, which I may not dis- discuss for, for because I'm not going to compromise uh, ongoing operations with the guards and the military. But there, there are things happening in this country on a regular basis that I think the public would be completely astonished with. Number one, but also horrified by. And when you when you juxtapose that between maybe comments from politicians, it, it's quite clear to me that they don't kind of fully appreciate and understand these issues and you know we we've got trouble coming down the line we've got elections due to happen in this country in the south um in the next year or two but we've also got problems in northern ireland that continue and uh, you know you're not you're the type of problems that we face in the future are very complicated and they're uh, really difficult sometimes to understand so you have you know russia might not be great at conventional warfare anymore but it is an expert at uh, uh, hybrid warfare or asymmetric warfare and that involves everything short of firing a bullet so you can see influence operation you can see disinformation being put out on social media you can see kind of um bizarre uh, or things happening and that they simply take advantage of. And a really good example of it was, you might remember, um, we published a story on a Russian missile uh, exercise that was happening off the southwest coast. And we published that, and it was a kind of significant NATO and governmental response uh, to try to stop that from proceeding. But in the meantime, the Russian embassy started actually dealing with fishermen from mm. Cork. Yeah. Now, those fishermen had absolutely, I can categorically say this, no influence on what actually happened in terms of moving that uh, exercise out of Ireland's uh, exclusive economic zone. But you saw the bizarre situation where you had a Russian ambassador in his host country dealing directly with a you know fisherman uh, organisation and discussing what would happen in Irish-controlled waters with a group of fishermen as opposed to the government. And that that's all done deliberately to kind of sow confusion, uh, cause difficulties, and leave the public wondering about who is actually in charge. Well, it and made it look like the government were not, not any good at their job and it took a group of our local fishermen from Cork to go up and sort it out. And yeah. that played into, that. that is what the Russians wanted everyone to believe. Well, well, that is what the typical example of an influence uh, operation is, whereby you um, use maybe certain actors to to create a scenario. 
that undermines confidence in the government and that one and also gives oxygen and publicity to Russia, which came across some sort of powerful force within our society that uh, you know it would be seen to be uh, uh, benevolent towards a group of fishermen, but maybe take to somehow um, take a more robust approach to the government and it should be stated if you you remember correctly at that time that the Russian ambassador had actually went up and met. Uh, the Defence Forces Chief of Staff and had this photograph taken with him with the military attaché from the embassy and then released that on the day they were announcing this exercise, which somehow gave the false impression that um, uh, um, uh, the Chief of Staff, Sean Clancy, had actually somehow approved it. So, again, if you look at that whole issue and the, the kind of multiple problems and arguments and debates it caused both publicly. And when you stand back from that, it's quite clear what the intentions of that yeah, are. They're clever at what they do for sure. Listen, uh, John, I enjoyed our chat. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Lovely talking to you. Uh, good morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, John Mooney, who is the crime and security correspondent uh, with the Sunday Times. <laughs> Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Now, one of my favourite TV programmes has got to be the BBC's Repair Shop, which every week has me smiling and shedding tears in equal measure. So I was thrilled to hear that the Repair Shop is casting and they're looking for people from Cork who might have some objects that they would consider. I'm joined by the programme's ceramic expert, and that is uh, Kirsten Ramsey. Good morning to you, Kirsten. Hi there, Patricia. And great, great to talk to you. I have to ask you straight off, what do you believe is the key to the success of the repair shop? Oh, that's a difficult one. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's uh, probably the fact that everyone can relate to the themes of the programme. There's the love that runs through the programme. The items are very often connected to family members and Also, a lot of the items that we work on, um, they have sentimental value. They're they're not necessarily of any financial worth. So they're things that we possibly all have in the home or in our grandparents' homes. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that it has so much sentimental value, as you say, at times you couldn't even put a price on it because it's just of sentimental value. For for you and the rest of the team, that's a huge responsibility then when it's handed over into your care to try and restore it. Absolutely. And we do feel that weight of responsibility. <laughs> but fortunately, it's all about sharing and we do share that in the barn. We We chat to one another about problems that we're perhaps having with an item and... Um, I think that's just what we do. That's part of the job that we do, you know, day to day. Um, and very often the the barn is, the, I think, the last resort. A lot of people have tried to get things repaired elsewhere. They come to us and we scratch our heads, but hopefully we can come up with a solution. And just seeing the reactions of people makes 
it's all worthwhile. Yeah, I always, my heart always goes out to you because being into, you know, a ceramic piece, I always think, oh my God, if it gets knocked off the side <laughs> of the bench, it falls into smithereens in front of you. Take me back. How did you become interested in ceramic restoration? Um, oh, it's a, it's quite a long story, but basically I I loved um, antiques, I loved history, I enjoyed museums and I also originally sort of came from a a making craft background, design background, so it combined all of those elements and I was probably in my sort of early 20s when I discovered it and I've never looked back. And how long have you been a part of the repair shop team? Are you you there from almost the start? I was here on day one. Oh, were you? OK, OK. And, and, and do you remember getting that call and somebody putting the concept of the programme to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I hadn't thought about ever being on TV. I was busy working away in my studio and I had a phone call. And honestly, I thought perhaps someone was having a joke with me. <laughs> but a couple of weeks later, um, I was chatting to, to the production company and then I found myself in a very, very cold barn in January 2017, I think it was. And yeah, I've never looked back. Well, well, you're a natural on the TV <laughs> side of it, Kirsten, uh, for sure. And is there an incredible buzz about working on something that is a very old piece? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And we've had some very, very ancient pieces in the barn. And I have to say, we had um, a Han figure uh, probably about a year or so ago now. And um, I I I took pleasure in seeing the terror that the rest of the team had as they manoeuvred around this very, very ancient ceramic figure. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw you with uh, King Charles. I mean, that piece must have been very special. That dated back to was Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee, wasn't it? Yeah, that that's correct. Yeah, that I mean, I was just thrilled to be asked to to be involved in that program was was um, incredible. Um, And I think when I was originally approached, my mind was just racing with all the sort of potential objects that might come from from royalty. And I was thinking of sort of gilded dinner services and all sorts. (laughs) <laughs> and then that really charming piece of Weemsware turned up and I can't tell you, I was absolutely thrilled. And, and I loved the fact that King Charles loved it and the way he said that he used to turn it in such a way so that people wouldn't notice the damage. It was a piece mm. he particularly liked. Well, I mean, don't, don't we all do that? You know, that's so, so so sweet to hear because how many of us have got something that's perhaps got a little chip or something and you just turn it away and hope that no one sees it and he'd done exactly the same so amazing yeah yeah and it is so Kirsten incredibly important that we preserve these items from the past so we can pass them on to future generations yeah I mean I think what I've felt being involved with the program is that so often these quite quite modest items that they're a talking point they start a conversation and those conversations can be going back in time about family history or they can be projecting forward into the future and it can be a way of engaging 
family members, children, um, friends, just to start those conversations. Um, yeah, it's it's incredible. And you always, the gang at the repair shop, you always come across as, you know, such a united bunch. It, it always comes across, you all seem to like working with each other. We do. We love it. And we've done that from day one. I think we were thrown into this barn and I think from the minute we met, we were busy sort of nosing around in each other's tools and kind of saying, oh, you know, what would you use for that? And, um, you know, we've been working together now for six, almost seven years. And I think we've we've got a really strong bonds now. So you're looking for anybody who has any kind of a a treasured item, you know, it may be put away at the back of a wardrobe or it may be up in the attic. You're looking for people to get in contact. Yes, please. Yeah, we're just about to start making a new series and we've had some incredible pieces through the years and we are still hunting. We know that there's lots of interesting things out there. It doesn't have to be a valuable antique. It's really just something that will be part of your family history or something that has sentimental value to you. And we would love for for people to have a good look through their their attics, their their shelves, their garages. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. see yeah, and you say it's 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 treasured items. Sometimes it was part of your childhood, and it's a memory maybe to your your parents or to your grandparents, and something that just brings you back. Yeah, absolutely. And it might be something that you you've tucked away because it's broken, and you really weren't sure if someone would ever be able to repair it. And also, sort of community problems. Uh, projects you know if there's something within your community that that has meaning we would love to have a look at it you know you can take part through the the BBC take part link okay and it doesn't matter if somebody has tried to do a repair to something no no no. I mean we are open for anything we love to see what people have got and you know try us okay (laughs) ever been beaten yeah well done well done and I don't think you ever will be you're a very very talented uh, <laughs> lady and everybody inside in, in the shed you're all you're extremely talented uh, listen it was a real pleasure talking with you uh, Kirsten I'll give out the details uh, for people I'll give some email addresses but Kirsten thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us today amazing thank you Patricia Go. lovely to speak and lovely to speak to you as well. Good morning to you. That is Kirsten Ramsey, the ceramics ex, uh, expert from the BBC's The Repair Shop. So if you have any treasured items that needs a little bit of TLC, a little bit of restoring, you can contact and you need to, you can email and you get all the details of what they will requ- what they will require from you. And you could be part of the next season at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Take part. 0818103103. And Alan says, just a quick question, seeing as you're talking about repairs at the repair shop. Repair shop. Does anybody know where I can get a rattan garden couch repaired 
it's the woven section that's broken. I rang a couple of places, but with no uh, luck. And that Ratton Garden furniture normally lasts a long time, but there is a section of the woven section that has broken. So somebody into weaving, I imagine. Uh, so does anybody has anybody had a Ratton Garden couch that needed repair? If so. Where did you go? And we'll see if we can point Alan in the right direction. Let us know. A lot of people enjoyed my chat uh, with Kirsten from the repair shop and agreeing with me. It's just one of those delightful shows. I know Nick Richards in the afternoon, I was uh, telling uh, Nick that I was going to be interviewing Kirsten uh, today and he was saying as well, it's just got a kind of warm, fuzzy feeling about it. I mean, some of the stories that go along with it when you've got a family member uh, coming in with, you know, a really treasured piece. It might be a really old teddy bear or something and uh, it belonged to their grandparents or something and and then when they come back and see the finished product and there's always tears shed it's just it's lovely it's just one of those lovely lovely programs so it was a great thrill uh, to chat to uh, Kirsten and that led to somebody who has rotten garden furniture that needs repairing and has gone to a number of places but can't get it repaired somebody says I don't I think somewhere in the Cope Foundation in Cork they used to have a service where they repaired rotten furniture where exactly I don't remember says this listener so there's a, a a further bit of information. Does anybody know Cope Foundation in Cork where are they still repairing rotten furniture? Because a lot of that would have stopped during COVID times uh, as well. But if anybody knows and because we're trying to, Alan is trying to get his rotten furniture fixed if anyone can help us. And also looking for advice for Bernie. Uh, no, this is not Bernice. This is, there's no name on this. Can somebody tell me please? Uh, this is to the, to the practicing Catholics listening to the programme. 12pm Mass on a Saturday, would that cover you for Sunday Mass? Is it the same? My friend is telling me if I go to the 12am Mass on Saturday, then I'm okay. I won't have to go on on Sunday. But I'm not convinced because I think people are making up their own minds uh, thanking you. Well, I know that the Vigil Mass on a Saturday night, which is any time from five, six, seven o'clock in the evening, the Saturday night one, that certainly covers you for Sunday. I don't know if at 12 p.m. Mass on Saturday would cover you from Sunday. Now, maybe somebody practising Catholic out there who knows all the rules and the, ru- the rules and the regulations will be able to tell us. Failing that, I might get John Paul to give um, Father Tim Hazelwood, he's a great man, uh, to give him a, a, a buzz to let us, let us know if it is a 12 p.m. Mass on a Saturday. If you go on this, the 12 p.m. Mass on a Saturday, does that mean that you don't have to go to Mass on Sunday? If anybody can tell us, 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls, you can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. A break and news at 12 midday. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG. Somebody wants to know what night is that BBC's restoration programme on. It's called The Repair Shop. It's on on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock. This current series came back on the 22nd of March. I don't know how many episodes are in each series, but it's 8 o'clock on a Wednesday night and it is well, well worth uh, the watch. And someone else says, Patricia, could you repeat the address again? If you have a treasured item that needs restoring, it's www.bbc.co.uk forward slash take part and then you're looking for the repair shop and uh, they'll look for the ver- various questions and I imagine they look for photographs etc uh, to be uploaded uh, and let us know if your item gets accepted I'd love to see some local people get on to the programme and just to Bernice who's contacted us 
to say, Bernice, that those text messages that you're getting, they're scam texts, so just ignore them. Bernice says, Patricia, Vodafone keep texting me constantly saying that my bill is overdue. I'm not with Vodafone and I never have been. I can't understand why they keep sending me these texts. They're scams. Just completely delete, delete, delete. And then on the listener who wants to know, is it OK they're going to a 12 p.m. mass on Saturday? I'm assuming a First Holy Communion mass. And somebody has said that that 12 p.m. mass on Saturday will do you for Sunday. Uh, but this listener isn't convinced. I think some people are making up their own rules. Lots of people were on saying, no, it has to be from 6 p.m. onwards on a Saturday night for it to be OK for the Sunday mass. But Eddie did admit if he was at a wedding on the weekend and the mass was at two o'clock, he would take that as mass for uh, the weekend. And he said, I haven't gone to hell yet. And then John Paul did put a call through to the wonderful Father Tim Hazelwood, who often joins us on the programme. So we said we'd go straight to the to somebody in the know and he says the Sunday Mass is covered by the Vigil Mass that I mentioned and the Vigil Mass on a Saturday night is any time as Eddie and Mahan has said from 6pm on Saturday evening. That's if you're going by official church law canon law. It Anytime from 6pm on Saturday evening will cover you for uh, Sunday uh, but uh, uh, Father Tim says at least the person is making an effort to go to uh, Mass. Thank you for that because a number of other people said very few people are going to Mass now. Well, yeah, they, they may be very few people but there, obviously this is somebody who has very good faith and wants to abide by all of the rules, etc. 0818-103-103 and then into some of our WhatsApps coming in. Massey is picking up on uh, a piece I was hoping to touch on didn't get a chance to do it yet but it is on the news and this is to do with almost a quarter of households uh, with gas uh, who have gas coming into their home are in arrears and it's, it, there's a difference between the number of people who are in arrears gas companies are in arrears versus the number of people that are in arrears on their electricity but of course the reason that so many people are not in arrears on their electricity has got a lot to do with the series of 200 euro energy electricity credits that were brought in by uh, the government and they've helped to reduce the number of electricity companies in uh, electricity customers in arrears but unfortunately there wasn't a scheme for gas Gas customers and the numbers of gas com- customers in arrears has actually increased. I think it's gone up to 23% of the overall total of domestic gas companies were in some kind of arrears as of the 31st of March. That is a lot of households. Uh, Mossy says that while gas prices don't bother Mossy, because he, he's not a gas customer, said, I have huge compassion for those that, and sympathy for those that are in arrears. And you can't have the Taoiseach of this country then giving a soundbite on these gas arrears, saying he hopes the prices will come down and that's it. That's not going to cut muster with the people who are in, in arrears and facing these bills every month. Massey feels that people should not be treated like this. The government needs to be a lot more compassionate, thanking you. That's from Massey. And then a listener says, Patricia, when we were talking about the cost of living earlier, did I hear one of your listeners text in that the family is going out, goes without food one day a week and that the dog in the household is going without food two days a week? 
How can you have a dog in your family who's going without food even one day a week? And I did, I did, got, I, got, I got an actual text in saying that, that they're struggling so much that there's a day where they don't eat. I'm assuming there isn't children in the family, but there are two days a week where the dog and, and yeah, and the dog certainly can't understand what's happening and the reason that they are going without food. But yes, you did hear me right. It was a text that uh, came in. Hi Patricia, with regards to the lady who is in contract with uh, Vodafone who came and said her bill has gone up by 11%. If it, if you are a mobile supplier and if a mobile supplier changes prices or terms and conditions during the contract period, then you've 30 days to change supplier and that's without penalties. So tell that woman to go back. She should be able to change to a different supplier. Thank you for that, uh, Tim. Still getting in calls about celiacs and how people are coping with the increase in the cost of gluten-free food and for some that there isn't as much choice when it comes to gluten-free products. Cecilia says McDonald's in Ireland and the UK are the only McDonald's McDonald's in the world that don't serve gluten-free burgers. I wasn't aware of that. Their excuse is there isn't enough storage space. Ireland has the highest percentage of celiacs in Europe. It doesn't make any sense, says Cecilia, who's either celiac herself or has someone in the household. I wasn't aware of that. McDonald's don't have gluten-free burgers. And Michael is back to us. He is a celiac. He says, Patricia, just to follow up, all those who are celiac, I feel, are being totally discriminated against in supermarkets. Supermarkets in the, major- in, in the majority are being, are being discriminated against in supermarkets and in the majority of fast food outlets. A lot of service stations, for example, don't even have gluten-free sauce. I know that from being constantly on the road. Now a lot of restaurants are picking up on it and providing it. Most of the rice, for example, is not gluten-free rice in takeaways, as most of the products are not gluten-free. Everything you pick up that you buy, you have to check for gluten. Even a simple bar of chocolate or a packet of sweets. 99.9% of them have either wheat, barley, rye, soya, milk, etc., which is a massive problem if you are suffering from celiac disease. And God help those celiacs who are dairy free as well. And there are a number of them who are dairy free as well. You're right. 0818103103. And thank you to somebody. And who sent in a picture. I, I, I'm only half looking at it because I don't, I don't want to. I'm not going to zoom in and look too carefully at this photograph. But Anne said, look at what some man left us here after a match at the weekend on the green where children play. play. Somebody playing a match. OK, they got short taken and they pooped their underpants and then they took off. It looks like it is the shorts, the players shorts and the underwear and all the contents inside in it and left it there for somebody else to pick up. How sick is that, says uh, Anne. And it's it's not even in under a bush. There seems to be a bush nearby. And I know, listen, it must have been awful for that to have happened uh, to that person in the middle of a match and, and, you know, got so, I'm assuming, so caught up in the match that after and soiled himself. And I accept that he wouldn't want to go home in the soiled underwear and the soiled pants. But like, 
bring it home with you. Don't leave it, as Anne says, for somebody else to uh, clean up. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. You can text WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Ballonhasset Community Development Association, they're holding a clothing collection in the Marion Hall in Ballonhasset. Now it kicks off today and it runs through for most of the month of May. They'll be collecting on Tuesdays and Thursday evenings between seven and half past eight and then Saturdays half two to four. They can take re-wearable clothes, shoes, bags, bedding towels and curtains. No duvets or pillows, please. And it's a fundraiser for the Marion Hall in Ballonhasset. The Pike Theatre Company in Ballancolic are holding their last script for the season. That's on tonight. Ballancolic Rugby Club starting at half past eight. A great night of music, song, maybe even a dance or two with the usual cuppa and some sandwiches. Plus there'll be a raffle. All are welcome. If you're a bingo fan, then please note bingo is on in Shambhalimore Community Centre tonight. Eight o'clock start. Jackpot, €1,550. All are welcome. McCroom Senior Citizens and Active Retirement Group are hosting a gardening talk by MacDees of Dripsy Garden Centre. It's tomorrow evening at 8 in the Father Rhine Hall in McCroom. There will be a plant sale and a raffle and all are welcome. And also tomorrow, Anam Cara will hold their Cork meeting in the Clayton Silver Springs Hotel at 7.15. All bereaved parents are welcome regardless of the age of your child or the circumstances of their death. Cork today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. The Mayor of the County of Cork, Councillor Danny Collins, will host a not-to-be-missed charity dinner. It's on Saturday the 27th of May at the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry, which I'm delighted to say I will be a part of on uh, the night. And I'm also delighted to say that uh, Mayor Danny Collins joins us live in studio today. And it's great to have you in studio, Danny. You're welcome. Thank you, Patricia. Um, you are, um, we'll, we'll talk about the the ball, uh, the, or sorry, your charity night in a moment. Uh, but, but firstly, your year is coming to an end. Talk to me about the year. It's been, you know, another very successful year as mayor. Have you enjoyed it? Yes, I have enjoyed it. It's been, look, it's been full on, to be quite honest. Like, there were some days, like, you could be in, in Mallow one time, you could be down. In, there was one day, actually, I'll tell you, I was above Mallow. I went from Mallow down to Kinsale and from Kinsale down to Dorsey. And, like, you know, just to take that in one day, it was like, you're from one side of the county to the other. So, like, you know, you you don't really realise how big your county is until you have a job like that. Like, yeah. and, and you, you know, don't have a driver, do you? I do have a driver. It's, but okay. it is my own car. Okay. But um, I yeah. I use them a lot of days. There's a lot of days I do it. My, I drive away myself. But um, you know, it's been a great experience. Um, people have been lovely. I've met different ch- charity groups, um, voluntary groups out there. Like, and you know, what I love is meeting with the kids. The kids, you know, they're wonderful. Like they be always they be coming up. What's that? Your, your, your chain, chain, like, yeah. And they're they're amazed by it and whatnot. And like even there now, um, next week I'm I'm going visiting a school which I met the, the children one day at, at an event, and their school teacher turned around to me and said, "Would you mind calling to our school?" And I said, "Not a bother." I said, "Send an invitation," and they did. And next week's them heading to that school, and you know, you know, it's those things. I was at, um, at the Cock City Par um, Games last week, yeah, and um, Carrick Tool 
National School were there who had um, four participants in the sports and um, the joy in their, in their faces after winning races or just taking part, like it was unreal and I went up and congratulated them and I told them I was actually going to be in Carrick Tool the following day and one of the parents said to me, would you call to the school, Denny? And I says, not a bother. I says, um, I said, just um, look, she said, I'd get onto the, um, the principal and see, which that night the principal rang me and I said, look, I said, I'm supposed to be, I was just, um, opening a new um, the Cascade um, Apartments there in, in Carrigtool. That's what I was up for. And I said, look, I, that should be finished by half 11. If I call to you about 12 o'clock, and they said, that'd be lovely. Went to the school, entered the joy. Like, they, like I had a kind of questions and answers with them with 300 kids, I swear <laughs> to God. It, it was, that keep you on your toes. It, it yeah. kept me on my toes. But, but is it, do, do you see it as a great honour to have been A massive elected? honour. Yeah. I mean, a massive honour, be honest, like, as some people say, look, Denny, you're the number one person in, in Cork. I yeah. say, look, I'm, I'm still only Denny Collins. And like, you know, it, for me at first, like even I'll be quite honest, you know, I go into an event wearing the chain, like, you know, I just, um, I was pulled a couple of times above a county hall. I didn't wear the chain and we'd say a concert I was asked. Yeah. Um, um, the, the, the Elton John concert. And like, I said, you know, I, I thought he said, I just, I was, I, that, I said, I didn't think I'd have to wear the concert yeah. or the chain. But um, look, you are um, representing, I, I, you're the face represent, of the county. That's yeah. basically what you are. And, you know, it's been a massive honour for me. Um, like, you know, a amount of people like just, you know, I've met over the year, like, I'll be quite honest, like, it's it's been like representing your county is the honour of all things, to be quite honest. And is it a bit of an eye opener as well to see what's going on in, because obviously you know your own area very well, but to get to see what's going on in North Cork, in West Cork, you know, to see other parts. You get great ideas, I'll be quite honest. Today I was above in, in Carrick Tool alone. I never realised how much industry is there in that place. I will say fair play to Councillor um, John Healy. He took me around the, the town there. And my God, what factories and different, um, you know, from anything, industries there is unreal. And like, you know, it's great to see, like, uh, mm. I think they have a population of six to six to seven thousand people. And like, they, they reckon not between the next 10 years, there'll be 10 to 12,000 people living there. So, you know, it's good to it's see. A, but yeah, it's an expanding it's county expanding as well. Expanding county. And, and, and it's funny when you say, you know, you've done so much travelling all over the county. I'm sure while you're travelling around, one of the biggest amount of complaints we get is to do with the condition of uh, our roads. Um, and I'm, I'm told only, I think, was, was it only this week that you met with with the Thornister and the and Minister Michael McGrath and Simon Coveney. And this is to discuss the report that was commissioned by, it was by Cork County Council, wasn't it? The All-Ireland Research Observatory. Yes, yes. Um, and the, the one that highlighted how much Cork, we are losing out on government funding when we're compared to other counties. It's so unfair. Big time, big time. Um, yes, look, it was one of my main aims. Um like for um, we I to meet with the the Tánaiste and the two ministers in Cork, you know, when I became mayor, because um, this report was um, commissioned in 2020, and we we got to see it in 2021. Right, COVID came in and whatnot, and the uh, the independent mayor couldn't at the time get to do it. But look, I didn't want to see that report settling on a on a on a shelf and getting and um, getting dust on it. So I wanted that we meet and discuss it with our our, our three um, ministers. So um, yes, it was yesterday morning. Um, we met with them. Um, firstly, we met with the Tanishta and Minister McGrath at half past nine in the morning. And basically, look, like, just take our roads. We're getting just over a thousand euro less per kilometre than every other local authority 
in the country. And we have the biggest and we are the, the biggest, biggest road yes, yeah. and, net, uh, network. And this was the report that said that at the current level, if funding on road maintenance remained the same, it would take 52 years just to strengthen the roads. Just to strengthen the roads. Um, like, you know, we have um, also through our roads, we have this local improvement scheme, which is a big, big scheme for, for um, we'd say, um, rural areas, basically. And um, look, um, there's 180 um, schemes in for that, different areas throughout. And I'd be quite honest, like there's 60 of them, 60 of those west of Clannacilty. And like, you know, people come to me, Danny, is our role going to be done? We applied for it six years ago, seven years ago. And like, you know, we only get about a million a year for it. And, you know, we need, we could do, if we got six million, we could do six million worth of work every mm. year. But um, we need to be left know that at the start of the year. But um, look, we have um, had a good, um, we met Minister Coveney, then that happens too, and myself, the, the party leaders, and um, the executive of Cork County Council. I must say, it was a very productive meeting with the, with the three ministers. They did um, turn around to us. He come back to us with a proposal, what he, he want us. Okay. It really, like, you know, you, you look at the Rural Regeneration Fund, right? Yeah. We can put in three applications into the department for that. You go to Leash, they can put in three. You Again, know, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's just not fair yeah. based on the size And the, the same of the with the, the town and village and the Claw and like, you know, it's just like, you know, it's like you can put in three or four for so many and whatnot. And like it's the same for every county. So look, we are going to um, write up our own proposals. They're going to take it to the department and see what they can do. So look, it's a start. Yeah, and, and look, I think the timing is right as well. The government appear to be awash with money. So now now is the time to, to go knocking. Yeah. Uh, so keep us uh, keep us updated uh, on, on that. Uh, now, let's let's go back to your charity night that you're having at the end of the month. You Do you select your own charities? Is that how this yes, works? Yes, um, what you got, that was the, when the, my staff in the mayor's office, they said, Danny, will you pick your your charities. I al- always had um, Cancer Connect in my mind, to be quite honest. Um, cancer is a thing like it's deep in my heart. My own mother um, passed away of cancer when she was 16. So, but Cancer Connect, a great service um, provides. And now, like, it's not only in West Cork, it's in North Cork yeah, as well. Yeah, it started like, originally in, in West Cork. It started originally yeah. in West Cork and the amount of voluntary drivers that are out there and, like, it's ran voluntary. And, like, you know, it's... I like I, I met a guy one day and he told me he had to go for treatment and he was saying and I was saying how are you going up for the treatment and he said to me um, oh he says I get the bus he said 7 o'clock bus in the morning sir. and I said why can't you use Cancer, Cancer Connect he said he actually didn't know about it this is it yeah. and yeah. he used it since he was inside my bar two weeks ago he said Danny Okay. I want to buy you a ticket for your 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 your, your um, charity. Oh, like, brilliant! He's uh, going to come and support. And he wants to come to go support it. Like, uh, and like you know, fantastic. that's just one fella. Because like. again, it's what it, cancer connect. It's only when cancer arrives on your on your doorstep, and that's when you find out about all of these services. It's it's voluntary. It's free for the cancer patient. Yeah. They'll get collected from their door, brought to the appointment. And brought collected back and brought back home again. Yeah. It's just and fantastic. even like drivers, most of the drivers turn around if they want to go for messages on the way down or stop for a cup of coffee. All any driver I've heard has been very, you know, cooperative with with the patient. So like you know, and friendships a, and friend, everything yes, for them. That's yeah, it, basically. So that's that's one yeah. charity, and then your second one, Bandon Hyperbaric Centre. Yes, um, I'll be quite honest. I didn't know much about this centre until about six, seven years ago, whatever. Um, a friend of mine, um, he passed away since of COVID, but. He used to use it. He had cancer at the time, and he swore black and blue from it that he cured his cancer. I'd be quite honest. I'd, I'd say, look, it's I don't know, but he swore white anyway. He used to use it. I think two or three times a week, and 
he, he swore by it. So I did a bit more investigating into it and it was different people with different ailments using it and people with injuries and um, I, I know rugby players and um, one, one day I was listening there to the radio and it said um, um, Cristiano Ronaldo bought one for his home. Yeah, yeah. So, um, a lot of sports yeah, uh, people sports, use it. Well, like, um, late, the latest now I've heard about is the um, long COVID. A lot of people are suffering from long COVID out there and there's a, they have an 80% success rate for long COVID. And again, this centre is run by a voluntary committee in Bandit. And I'll be quite honest, I'm not going to say how much they charge. They charge very little for compared to other hyperbaric centres in the country. Yeah, because they, they run it almost like a charity. They run they? it yeah. as a charity. And yeah. they, they want to go, like, I actually um, spoke to one there last week about a lady who had a certain ailment. I said, do you cover that? He, I, he, had, he said, we, what we do, he says, we email the HSE and we wait for um, a reply back to him. That Can we bring that lady in or is not? It for that suitable? Yeah, is it suitable? Yeah, is it suitable? So, look, I honestly believe like it's given relief to a lot of people. So, And the way, like, I, I've seen, you know, the way I believe it's been, it's, it's been ran is very professionally. And so, like, again, it covers the whole of the county and country that people come all over the country this place like, and like you know Well it, it, it's it's only the only one in Cork It's the only one in Cork Cork yeah I think the way up the country I can't think yeah. I was taught now but um, there's one up in there Dublin or somewhere that, that's the next one to, that's open to the public so Look, we're blessed to have it. Blessed we're, to have it. We, yes, we are blessed to have it. And uh, tickets are still available for the night. Tickets are still available. I yeah. actually just rang um, County Hall to find out what our numbers like selling. We're over halfway sold, so okay. um, I would guess what you call like we have still have the three weeks left before. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, it's, yeah it's, it's, the, it's the last Saturday like, yes. in uh, May the 27th yes. corkcoco.ie so if mean, people are looking for tickets yeah. and and you've got um, yeah. I'll be going along on the night I'll be yeah. chatting with the with the charities and you've got a couple of comedians yes well I have Bernard Casey which, well, very no one, funny he, yes very funny he kept us well entertained during Covid especially but um, MC of the night is um, Colin Morgan but we have um, I'm not naming yet it's all okay. uh, um, I have GA Allard winning stars as well coming oh. on the night so there'll be a kind of a question and answer um, night with them plus I have the, the boogie band playing plus a DJ then afterwards look so I've been held in the West Lodge Hotel Bantry get get your tickets and and if we can't get a bed in the West Lodge Hotel I will have um, a bus service taking you come to bring you back and forward home wherever if you book into a sort of B&B afterwards that will be provided you have it all covered should you decide to have a little drink yeah Yeah. well done well you have it all covered listen Danny it's a pleasure enjoy the rest of your 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 term is up the end of June the end of June June. okay and you'll need a long deserved rest I think at the end of that and we look forward to seeing you on the 27th of May uh, in the West Lodge Hotel in Bantry but thank Thank you you for joining us thank you very much good afternoon Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance Francis McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And just a couple of quick shout outs. Firstly, a listener have been on to say my husband has been use, uses crutches and he's been using them all of his life. But the problem at the moment is I can't seem to get, you know, the rubber tip that goes on the end of them. Would any of your listeners where, know where I would be able to purchase them? Uh, ideally somewhere in the West Cork area, please. So that rubber tip. Have you tried the HSE stores? I mean, I would 
would have always thought the HSE would have been providing those, but obviously not, because if your husband has been using them all of his life, you're well used to them wearing down and you've got to get new ones. Does anybody know where the rubber tip for the end of crutches, where they can be purchased, ideally somewhere in the West Cork area? And a couple of thank you to, actually these are both bus connected. Carmel in Passage West was on to say, Patricia, would you thank the bus driver who waited for me on the 266 bus to Passage uh, West? Uh, it, it was a lovely day and then suddenly it started to lash rain. The bus was just about to take off, but he saw me and he stopped the bus to let me on. Let me on. So a big, big thank you. And then Stephen and Clonakilty was on to say, would you give a shout out and say thank you to Alex on the West Cork Connect uh, service. He lowered the bus down for me. A difficulty getting off the bus in Bishopstown and I would just like to acknowledge his kindness. So well done to Alex on the West Cork Connect service. Joe Heffernan uh, joining me. Uh, good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon, Patricia. And, and we're going to talk about anger uh, today, and I, I, I think this is this is a good uh, topic. None, you know, none of us like to think that we ever get ang- angry, but there's nothing wrong at times with getting angry. I'm just noticing, for example, uh, today when we're talking about the cost of living, and people are very angry, particularly when they think they're being ripped off with prices going up. It's normal to be angry about something like that, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I find myself extremely angry about uh, our young people in this country at the moment. Uh, They get referred to as Generation Z and they get referred to as Millennials. I would refer to them as the young citizens of Ireland. And, um, you know, the prospects of um, uh, owning a home, getting a good job, um, the things we took for granted um, are simply not available now um, uh, in in most cases. And uh, that makes me angry that, um, you know, that the, that the whole housing system especially um, is, um, you know, in such a state. Um, God knows it's going on for long enough that if they started 10 years ago, we might be somewhere down the, the road. I know that there has been a vastly um, expanded uh, number of people arriving into the country. I, I, I know that. And I mean, I acknowledge that there is a war in Ukraine, but... Um, you think that things would start to move a little bit quicker now. Um, yeah. yeah, and even yeah. taking the Ukrainian, the poor old Ukrainian refugees and even the asylum seekers, we have a housing system that's been broken for many years and now it's, it's suddenly now coming home uh, to roost and we're seeing so many people who find themselves, you know, living in homeless accommodation or living in, in hotels. And I heard one of the yeah. saddest stories yesterday out yeah. of uh, Dublin of a 78-year-old woman along with her husband who, bless his heart, is, is a stroke victim so he's got his own individual needs. They had lived abroad for many years and they lived in countries where you didn't buy your own house, where you rent it and that was the norm. And then they came back here to retire over 10 years ago. Both of two little pensions uh, were well able to rent, thought there wouldn't be any problem, have been renting happily for the last 10 years. Suddenly now, at 78 years of age, at the end of this month, they are finding themselves homeless and they have nowhere to go. They literally have to present to homeless services at that yeah. age of their so life. So it's no wonder that we're angry. Yeah. So um, that so so what you're saying is that kind there's that kind of uh, that's appropriate anger. But what we want to talk yeah. about is when it goes to inappropriate anger. Yeah. And we'll we'll kind of pare it down to we'll say 
um, right, people living in the same house, right, uh, rather than the big global thing about, um, uh, you know, the country, the world at the moment. Um, yeah, and we'll say there are two um, inappropriate ways of dealing with anger. Um, we've we've often heard the uh, the terminology um, of um, passive, aggressive, and then assertive. And the passive and the aggressive are uh, inappropriate ways of dealing with one's anger. There's nothing wrong with being angry, but it's what you do with it. And the the passive behaviour would be. And, uh, you know, I think we'll all recognise uh, these. Um, uh, because we've all probably done it at some stage. Well, there's Joe. that too. Absolutely. Let's be honest. This so is, this the, is silent the, si- yeah, the silent treatment. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, you know, as, as we, well, you know, we, we, we sometimes refer to it as pictures nor sound. Yeah. But it's not easy to be at the receiving end of pictures nor sound. Um. Uh, there's muttering, um, you know, a person going around the house like <laughs> muttering and you're wondering what are they on about and that you would wish that they would, in a, in a, in a plain and honest way, say, what's wrong? Uh, a person making no eye contact, uh, you know, long face, no explanation, um, uh, cold, uh, kind of being treated coldly. Um, uh, so those would be, and uh, then you have the sort of coercive control um, that we often hear about now. You know, we say withholding or using sex to manipulate a situation, um, withholding or using money to uh, uh, control to, uh, to punish, yeah, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that these would be the, the kind of passive behavior and. Once we recognise it, we might be better armed to stop using it. Um, we all have at times, yes, but let's hope that it hasn't become uh, endemic. All right. So, pa- so pa- that passive behaviour it doesn't work if you're if you're angry with somebody about something rather than doing that silent treatment or that muttering or the those little subtle digs at people. Sit down and explain what you're what exactly. what's upset you. Why are you angry? And yeah. what, what, what can we do? Okay, so... Well, at the extreme end of things, then, would be aggressive behaviour. Yeah, and now, this, like is, this, is the, this is the more frightening one. Yeah, yeah. Physical violence um, or, uh, you know, shouting, verbal uh, abuse, um, uh, uh, going up to kind of scale of um, uh, seriousness, awfulness, whatever the word is, pushing or shoving someone. Uh, threatening someone. Um, we often get it on the road, uh, driving on someone's tail, um, you know, sitting on the car horn, boop, 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 you know. Um, it can be so upsetting. I, I had an experience of it not too long ago. Uh, happily, I can't even remember where or when now, but I do remember it happened. And it's upsetting. And, and um, yeah, slamming yeah. doors, um, you know, Going out of a room and nearly taking the door off the hinges with the bang. Um, using bad language. Name calling. Uh, turning uh, the music scene uh, up to, you know, not alone 10, but maybe 12. Um, obviously meant in a way to 
upset. Um, so those kind of things. Ignoring someone. If someone is saying something to a person, to ignore it. Um, to, to, to just clearly hearing it, but pretending not to hear it. Um, again, at the extreme then, you know, the coffee cup hitting the floor. Um, uh, you know, um, making the other person look uh, small, um, you know, being dismissive, um, and then expecting that, uh, oh, sorry about that, to make up for the whole thing. And, and all, I, all, all should be forgotten about. Yeah, and I have heard so many people saying, I'm tired of hearing sorry. Um, it's great to say sorry and to mean it, and that that's um, that it's rare that it has to be used. Sorry, but um, you know if it's every second day, um, well then it's uh, it wouldn't be regarded as being very what we'll say sincere. Okay, so that's that's aggressive. So the yeah. right way then to control it is assertive. Assertive anger. Okay, explain, assertive explain anger. that. And, well, it's like, for, for a start anyway, it starts with um, I. I want to let you know how I feel because I believe it will clear the air. Now, that's very different to you have just said, you just did. Yeah. So the, it's yeah. the I. When, when you start with you, you're usually setting up a row. Whereas when you start with I, you're usually setting up... Um, uh, um, a resolution to what 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 has been going on, um, you know. I want. I'd I'd like to clear the air between us, and then to be honest about the feelings. Um, I was very angry this morning. When fair enough. Um, I'm entitled to state how I was feeling about one thing or another, um, and I'm not saying it was your fault. I'm saying this is how I felt. Um, you know, and then uh, if one is going to do that, hopefully, and to name what has caused the anger, um, well, then to stick to that issue of that this morning, um, rather than, and I also remember um, the day we were uh, in Tralee, um, uh, you said this, and uh, the, and then you're off again into a row. Um, so to stick with the one issue and to try and clarify and clear that, um, starting with what we'll call I statements, um, or maybe a thing that happens a lot, you might be angry about it and say, look, I'm irritated by, um, you know, I know now there's going to be a you come into that like, but um, uh, whatever it is, um, or um, and and to kind of state the amount of um, the anger too. Um, I was extremely angry when that's fair enough. Like, whereas um, I was irritated a bit by well, that's kind of way down the scale. Then you're talking one out of ten instead of eight out of ten. Yeah, and then and then when you've pointed out what it is has upset you or, or created this anger, you need then to be able to listen. Absolutely, that's the biggie. That's the really big one, because um, uh, yeah, give the other person a chance to um, to answer 
what you have said. Um, and maybe the other person would like to express their anger too. And to be able to take that on board. I mean, uh, it's not a personal slight or a personal insult to be told that the other person is, uh, was angry at such a thing. If I say to a person, I was angry when, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm not really, as we'll call it, having a go. I'm simply stating that I was angry. And I'm stating the, um, you know, the circumstances that brought on that anger. And then um, uh, to, to, to engage with that kind of statement uh, with the objective uh, to forgive and that the motive would be to solve the problem rather than to have a go at the other person. Uh, the motive is very important. When a person genuinely just wants to clear up a situation, um, that usually goes down well with the other person, even if there has been a bit of a mourning of the passive uh, anger or even... The silent, uh, the silent treatment. And sometimes when, when, you, when you say to somebody what, what is on your mind, they might not even be aware that they've done anything wrong. Absolutely, or that you feel that they've done anything wrong. And at least now they have a chance to say their end of it. Um, you know, and that might be anything from a clear explanation, which um, the other person didn't know about, or it could be, it could be, look, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to upset you. I didn't realize that I was upsetting you. Um, so that, like, the assertive kind of anger is, like it says on the tin, really, you're being assertive. You're, you're saying you were angry, maybe you are angry, and why? As, as against, um, you know, uh, the silent treatment or the, uh, the banging the door, um, because neither of those two help, uh, will help, uh, whereas um, the assertive approach will most definitely help and will lead, hopefully, towards a resolution. And, um, and that maybe both people then are back on track and, um, and able to, um, to resume uh, normal okay. relations. With yeah, that's, that, that's what you want. OK, we'll leave it there. Joe, listen, have a lovely week and we will chat to you again next Tuesday. Absolutely. Thanks Thank a million. Bye bye. Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice in Bohabui. His number is 086 834 8145. That's 086-834-8145. Couple of people have been on for the listener who's looking for the rubber tips, you know, on the end of the crutches. The listener says, Patricia, I'm in the very same situation as that person looking for the rubbers for the uh, crutches. I normally get mine from the physio, and that's the physio attached to the HSC. And then someone else was on to say the rubber ends for crutches or walking sticks can be purchased in Atkins Hardware store in Clonakilty and the person was from West Cork so thank you for that Atkins Hardware store that's where I leave you for today my thanks to John Paul McNamara who produced Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we'll be back with you with Wednesday's edition of the programme tomorrow morning at 10 and to the line Patricia Messenger good afternoon Court today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group they don't just talk the talk they walk the walk cmig.ie 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. <laughs> 